0: Let's, uh, let's do something a little different this morning and uh, open our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, and I want to draw your attention to chapter 7 as opposed to normally we'd find ourselves in the New Testament going verse by verse. Uh, we'll get back into that in the, uh, the future, but, you know, this is a time of year where we do a little bit of reflection, right? We want to lose some weight, right? We want to quit smoking and some of the, these kinds of things. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, he said... Be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. And that's uh, good advice for us. And we we seek to be better. And what is our role with within our nation? And it's become my habit the last couple of years as we get right before the, the new year to kind of focus on where we are at as a, a culture. Where does the church find itself and its impact concerning our nation. And I think that there are a great deal of similarities between what ancient Israel was going through at the time of Jeremiah and what we are witnessing take place in our own nation. Uh, Bill Muhlenberg, he said, should the Lord tarry, we may be witnessing the collapse of the West and the rise of heaven knows what, but it is looking very grim right now. You know, most Americans do not trust their government. I think the latest thing that I read, only 8% of Republicans trust the government and only 25% of the Democrats trust the government. By and large, most Americans do not believe and do not trust what we are being told uh, from Washington, D.C., and I'm sure for good reason and i think that we all realize that we're just in a time in history now where it just it just feels a little twitchy right now it just it just feels a little weird and you're not really quite sure what to trust or who to believe because it seems like There's just prolific lies coming out of the left and coming out of the right as well. Francis Schaeffer, in the 1980s, he wrote a book called The Great Evangelical Disaster. It's a great read. It's an easy read. It's only about 140 pages long. And that great man of faith, he said, do not take this lightly. It is a horrible thing for a man like myself to look back and see my country and my culture go down the drain in my own lifetime. And I believe that's what we are witnessing. There is a disintegration that is taking place within our culture. Now, whose fault is it? I believe to a large extent the blame can be laid at the feet of the church, that the church has walked away from its mandate to be proclaimers of the truth. And it seems like we're living in an age where the church is backpedaling from the truth as rapidly as it can. There's a guy by the name of, well, he's since passed away, but Will Durant, he was an atheist and he was a great historian. He he has written volumes and volumes concerning world history. And as he looks at the collapse of nations and the collapse of culture, he says there's one thing that you see over and over again. He said, there is no significant example in history before our time of a society main, successfully maintaining a moral life without the aid of religion, that it seems that we need as a, as a species, it appears that we need to have the thought that we are going to be held accountable. That for you and I to go through life believing that we are not accountable to anyone or anything gives us just sort of a free reign to treat people however we might want to treat them. But when spirituality comes in and we are pressed with the idea that we will give an account to God one day, it gives us pause on how we treat one another, whether we abuse one another, whether we take advantage of one another. And you take that out of a culture, and you have a culture that does not have respect uh, for human life. Now, what has changed in America is not necessarily the number of Christians that there are in the world. In fact, when you look at the percentage of the world population that claim that they are Christians... Over the last 120 years, there has been very little change at all. You go back to 1900, 34.5% of people said that they were Christians. Now, whether they were or not, who knows, but this is how they identified themselves. 120 years later, take it to 2020, that number is 32.3%. Now, that means it's only changed two percentage points in 120 years. That's pretty stable. We've seen the world population of Christianity remain stable, but what has changed is where the church lives. Where is the church located at? You look at a world map, all of these big blue circles is where the majority of Christians live today. Now, notice that the majority is living around the equator, and the majority is made up of dark-skinned people. Now you go back to 1900, 82% of all of the Christians in the world lived in Europe and in North America. Today, it is just 33%. In 1900, you could say that Christianity was a white man's religion. You cannot say that any longer. The vast majority of those who make up the church are dark-skinned individuals. And we're able to see that Christianity is leaving the shores of America. It is leaving the shores of Europe. And this is what has changed in America. We are no longer a majority. We are a minority. Now, leading up to our story in Jeremiah chapter 7, To give you a little bit of the background, you know that after Solomon had passed away that his son took over control of the nation. Now Solomon was a smart guy, but his son was an idiot. And the northern tribes came to him and said, look, your father killed us with this taxation. We need tax relief. Back off of the taxes and we'll support you as king. And this guy refused to do it, So the northern tribes said, fine with you, we're going to go and we're going to start our own nation. And they retained the name Israel, they set up the capital in Samaria. Now almost immediately these northern tribes forgot God. They forgot the God that had graciously brought them into the promised land they became very pagan. They began to participate even in human sacrifice. And so in 722 BC, God brought the Assyrians into those northern tribes. They destroyed Samaria and they carried the northern tribes away captive. Now, Judah, a little over 130 years later, began to follow the same path that the northern tribes followed, and they too forgot God, and Jerusalem became a very pagan city. So much so that the Lord, in 586 BC, allowed the Babylonians to come in, destroy the temple, destroyed the city, and carried Judah off captive. Now, 40 years leading up to 586, We've got this young guy for 40 years, this young guy, Jeremiah. He is walking the streets of Jerusalem trying to talk to anybody that will listen to him. And he is trying to convince them that, look, If the northern tribes did not get away with their rebellion against God, why in the world do you think you're going to get away with it? And Jeremiah was trying to talk sense to the nation, but the nation didn't want to listen. And the challenges that Jeremiah faced, I believe in many ways are the same challenges that you and I as the followers of Christ are also facing now as we see America become more and more pagan. Now, let's look at what we read about Judah and what was their response to the Lord reaching out to them. Beginning now in verse 3 of chapter 7, we read this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Now here's Jeremiah. He is saying, guys, we got to get our act together. We got to get this thing turned around. We've got to turn to God. We've got to, we've got to begin to seek him. We got to get serious about our relationship with him. Now there were also lying prophets and the lying prophets were saying, hey, that guy didn't know what he's talking about we have got the temple of the lord do you think for 1 minute here here we have this glorious building this building that is worth Who knows how many millions and millions of dollars God had allowed Solomon to build this building. Now, do you think God is going to allow a bunch of pagans to come in here and destroy the temple? No, you rest easy. God is not going to destroy this city. We have got the temple of the Lord. And so the people were not listening because they were buying into a lie. And look at all of the lies that we are being told today. One of the lies that we are being told that will have some long-term implications is that we got too many people. Look at how many people are telling us now. We got too many people. We're using up too many of the earth's resources, and we've got to do something about this. Look at how the ruling elite are constantly telling us that there are too many of us. Prince, Prince Philip, He famously said, not that long ago, he said, if I could be reincarnated, I would be reincarnated as a deadly virus. And I would come back and I would help with the overpopulation problem that we have. Isn't it amazing the hatred that the ruling elite has for the likes of us. And so we're being told, hey, you got to have, you got to stop having kids. Well, look at the fertility rate since 1800 in this country. Now, this is the number of children born to women who are of childbearing age. Notice in 1800, the average woman was, uh, was producing seven children and it started going downhill. Then notice after World War II, we got a bump I, I came out of that bump, many of you, you're, I'm a boomer, you're a boomer, right? And uh, more, more, more people were born in 1957, I think, than, than any other uh, year. But then notice, we continue to decline so that now we're talking about 1.6 children. That is not uh, a way to sustain a culture. Once your birth rate, once your fertility rate uh, drops below, I think it's like 2.3, the culture cannot be uh, sustained. And what's interesting is why are many people not having children? According to Business Insider, a morning consult poll of 4,400 Americans found that one in four childless adults say climate change influenced their reproductive decisions. Now, we're trying to save the planet, meanwhile, we are... Are destroying ourselves and we're putting ourselves in a situation where our culture cannot be propelled into the future. Now, you compare what we're doing with what is happening in the Muslim world right now. Erdogan, the president of Turkey, he recently said to Muslim families families should have five children each so as to, con- to uh, counter the European Union's vulgarism, antagonism, and injustice. Their plan for the West is to breed us out of existence now it's not really going to be a problem for me it's not going to be a problem for many of you it is going to be a very serious problem though for your grandchildren and this is going to turn around and it is going to bite us in the rear end because we are believing lies it's also interesting that Arnold uh, Toynbee he said civilizations they start to decay when they lose their moral fiber and the cultural elite turn parasitic, exploiting the masses and creating an internal and external Marxism. Civilization dies from suicide and not by murder." One of the lies that we're being told is that we, we, you need you need government, right? You you need uh, these Ivy League uh, trained individuals. They're so smart. They're so they're so brilliant. They're the ones that's going to lead us out of the mess that we're in. Not to speak of the fact they're the ones that led us into the mess in the first place. But it's interesting that he says that they turn uh, parasitic. They begin to be. Parasites uh, on the nation. Now, you look at the United States and you look at the richest counties in America. They are all colored in red. Notice the high concentration that we find in the Northeast. In fact, nine out of the 20 richest counties. Uh, in the United States are in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Now, why is there so much money there? Is it because they have these huge factories that are uh, producing all of these marvelous goods that the world just needs to, to... No, they don't produce anything except they print money out of nothing, and then they distribute that money to, uh, you know, lobbyists and lawyers and themselves. Look at how many of them go to Washington D.C. with no money at all, and they leave. And they're given they're given positions on these executive boards of these corporations. They're given these sweetheart book deals, and they all leave Washington, uh, multi-millionaires at your expense. We today are $34 trillion in debt. A year from now, we will be $36 trillion in debt, spending $1 trillion a year just to service our debt. This is not a sustainable model. So notice what Jeremiah says to this nation that won't listen. He says, but go now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. So he says, all right, you don't think that God is gonna destroy Jerusalem because after all, we got all these holy buildings here. We've got the temple of the Lord. God isn't gonna destroy America. Look at all of these marvelous church buildings that, that we have here. So Jeremiah says, let's take a field trip and let's go to Shiloh. Shiloh was the very first place where they set up corporate worship in Israel. It's where uh, Joshua, he took the people across the Jordan River. They set it up there in Shiloh and they worship God. What was it at this day? It was destroyed. God allowed it to be destroyed. And Jeremiah's point is that, look, if the Lord has done it once, who do you think you are that he won't do it again? Again. We look at all of these cultures, we look at all of these empires that forgot God and where are they today? They're a pile of rubble, but yet we're Americans. We're smarter than everybody else and we don't understand that if God judged nations earlier, God will judge nations today. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, and now, because you have done these things, these, all of these works, says the Lord, And I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called to you, but you did not answer, just like ancient Judah. America doesn't want to listen. You you share your faith with your friends. You share your faith with your family members. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear this. And not only do they not want to hear it, But if you continue to persist to share the good news of the love of God, which has no offense to it at all, except, of course, we come by his grace and we come by his mercy, we don't earn this salvation, you're eventually labeled a hater. You don't hate them, you love them. Why are you telling them the truth? Because you love them. They need to experience the forgiveness of God. Let me show you, this is a slide it was taken from a training program from the United States Army Reserve talking about religious extremism and the groups that you need to watch. We've got the, the usual suspects here. We've got Hamas. We've got Al-Qaeda. But notice the number one faith on the list, evangelical Christianity. It is only a matter of time before we are going to be identified as being the enemy. Brothers and sisters, you better use your religious freedom as much as possible in 2024 because we don't know what's coming after that. Now notice in verse 16, Now therefore, do not pray for this people. This is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them nor make intercession to me for I will not hear you. Judgment is coming. It is inevitable. Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. In fact, the Lord said in chapter 15 of Jeremiah, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, I wouldn't listen to them. Get these people away from me. Now, thank God that America is not there yet. Thank God that we don 't have uh, these great leaders in the church today saying to the church, "Hey, stop praying for america it's it 's just too late now we look at this and we think well this is this is rough stuff I, mean, is, I thought God was kind and compassionate, but look, if you had a loved one whose body was just filled with disease, and the medical community they are administering um, you know, what, what they believe is the best treatment, but you look at your loved one and you just see that your loved one is just, eh, this is doing more harm than good. And you gather together as a family and, and you talk, you say, look, let's, let's just tell the doctors just to knock this off because our loved one is just too far gone. Just, there just comes a point where there's no use uh, pushing this agenda forward. And this is where, this is where Judah was at. Now, I don't believe that America is there yet. I believe that we, we need to continue to pray, and we need to pray that God would bring revival. We need to continue to pray that God would, would awaken us. So Jeremiah, he's told not to pray. Now, what is he told to do? Notice in verse 27, as we close with this verse, he says this, Now, therefore, you shall speak all of these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Now, isn't it interesting that one of the lines of logic that we use when, when we, we stop sharing the glorious good news of the gospel is one of the lines we use is that, well, they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. And if they're not going to listen, I'm, I'm not going to waste, waste my breath. Now, what does their unwillingness to listen have to do with your obedience to God. God has commanded us. This is the you have got the greatest news in all of the earth. You have got the news that no matter how a person has lived their life, if they'll just turn to Christ, their sins and their iniquities will be forgiven. They will live forever in the golden city of God. They will live in unspeakable joy if they'll just turn to Christ. You're not telling them they gotta climb Mount Everest. You're not telling them that they gotta give, you know, every penny that they have. You're telling them simply turn to Christ and live. That is what you and I are commanded to share. And yet we so often say, ah, they're not gonna listen. Now look, I don't think that we should cram anything down anybody's throat. You just share the gospel with somebody. If they don't want to hear it, okay, fine. But there are like 390 million other Americans that you can find to share the gospel with. What we have to have in the church today is a sense of urgency. I think it's interesting that Malcolm Muggeridge, Uh, Speaking as a prophet back in 1985, this British journalist, he said the following. He said, so the final conclusion would surely be that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours had the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions. What What are we seeing coming out of Harvard? What are we seeing coming out of the Ivy League? We're seeing these young Americans who hate this nation and they don't believe that there is anything worth saving in this nation. We are training our own destroyers and then providing them with faculties for the propagating of their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. Thus did Western man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, himself blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city tumbling down, and having convinced himself that he is too numerous, he labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself Fewer. We got to stop killing babies. We've got to stop killing babies. Now, if you've killed your baby, please listen to me. The Lord loves you, and the Lord will forgive you of the deepest, darkest sin in all of our life if we'll turn to him. Until at last, having educated himself into imbecility, and polluted and drug himself into a stupor, he kneeled over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and became extinct. Now, what should we do as the followers of Christ? What is the answer? We have to realize that the Bible commands us as Christians to pray for our government. And the Bible commands us that we are to obey our government as long as the government is not requiring that we do the unbiblical thing. Now, the tricky part that we so oftentimes forget as Americans is that we are the government. And we have forgotten that. I remind you of what Abraham Lincoln said in his Gettysburg Address, that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Are you a people? Yeah. If you are an American citizen, part of your responsibility is to be involved in the government. Look at what the preamble of our Constitution says. We the people... Of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It amazes me how many Christians don't even vote. That's wrong. God calls us to be responsible citizens, and part of being a responsible citizen is that you realize our government is formed of the people and by the people and for the people. Here is, here is the tragedy of all of this. Kennedy School Institute of Politics says 64% of respondents who identified as pro-choice said they would definitely vote in a hypothetical referendum compared to 34% of their pro-life fears. The problem is, is that the followers of Christ are losing our passion. The followers of Christ are not as passionate about righteousness as the ungodly are in their passion for ungodliness. Look, we all realize that there is an establishment that is running this nation. It doesn't matter whether it's got a D or an R. We do not have a political problem. We have got a spiritual problem in this nation. And you and I both know that these people, they work for the same group. They work for corporate America. Again, they go there and they make their millions and then they sit on boards the rest of their their life and fly their private jets all around and tell the rest of us that we're destroying the environment. And what we have to do is that we have to primary these people out. We have to primary the establishment out. Where where is Abby Roach? Abby is right back there, and she is working to get pro-baby, pro-constitutionalist, uh, on uh, or in uh, these various uh, primaries here in the state she's got a table set up in the northwest corner of the uh, the foyer area out there if you are a registered voter uh, you need to you need to see Abby and give your signature so that we can have people running for office that love this nation that love the people of this nation and love God we're not trying to create a theocracy here we don't want that but we want a government of the people and by the people and for the people and so as christians what should we do in 2024 well i think you need to join a pro-life prayer walk i think you need to register to vote if you're not registered begin to attend school board meetings find out what it is that they're teaching these kids be a blessing to your your teachers, to your children's teachers. Don't be an adversary. Ask, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I be a blessing? Get involved in your kids' schools. Run for political office. Maybe it is the will of God for some of you to end up on school boards. Maybe it's the will of God for some of you to run for Congress or whatever. But find a way to get involved and certainly pray fervently and pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would find a free course within our culture, within our nation. Pray that God would send revival, that people would hear the glorious good news. Now, if you're not a Christian, what should you do? Well, you need to get saved. You need to leave this place here this morning knowing that you are right with God. John chapter 1 tells us that to as many as receive him, talking about Christ, to them he gave the authority to be the children of God. Jesus Christ is the gift that God has given And to as many as receive the gift, you know what you did just a few days ago, just as you receive that gift from grandma and grandpa, the Lord is offering you the gift of life. And those who receive that gift of life in the court of heaven, they are designated the adopted sons and daughters of God. 49 years ago, I stood in front of a television set and there was a guy that was staring me in the face and I was staring back at him and he said to me through that television set, you've got to ask God for forgiveness, you've got to give God your life, allow him to be Lord of your life, and he will change your life. I went back to my bedroom as that 17-year-old and I got down on my knees because I thought that's what you did when you prayed. And I said, Lord, literally, I said, there's a guy on TV out there telling me I need to ask you to do this. And so I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin, change my life. And When I left that bedroom, I was different than I was when I went into that bedroom. And God has changed my life and God has saved my life, and He wants to do the very same thing for you. Do you want to have your sins forgiven? Do you want to be saved? Well, let's take care of it right now. It's simple. It's easy. The Lord simply wants you to turn and say yes to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to be saved this morning, and I know this is a difficult thing, but I ask you that you raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. If, you. if you're here and you want to you say yes to the Lord, then just raise your hand, and I'm going to say a simple prayer for you. Is there anybody here? Today is a day of salvation. Do you want your sins and your iniquities forgiven? Yeah. What's your name? Somebody help me. Ari. 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 Welcome home, Ari. We're going to pray for you. Is there anybody else? You want to say yes to the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love Ari. We thank you that you brought her here so that she could hear the good news that she is loved by God. And now I ask, Father, that as she turns to Christ and she says yes, and she's embracing the gift of life that is in Christ, that even now your Holy Spirit would just invade her space, invade her life, and her body would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. I would ask, Father, that you would deliver her from all guilt, from all condemnation, that she would leave this place knowing that she is right with you, that all of her sin and all of her iniquity, all of her future sin and future iniquity has been thrown into that sea of forgetfulness, and she is a child of God. And I would ask that you would bring mature people around her, that they would encourage her and direct her in her faith, Father, I pray that you'll help her now to manage relationships in her life in a God-honoring way. Oh, Father, bless our young sister and may she understand that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because a daughter of God has come home. Oh, bless her, Father. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.